from the White Letter Production Studios in Los Angeles, California. I'm Ellie Unger-Sargon, and this is The Cut Podcast. Thank you for coming, ladies and gentlemen. Um, As you can see, the topic and... I am a historian, and so that means I'm interested in history, what happened in the past. But I'm also interested in how the past is used or misused in the present. And that is really what our topic is going to be today. If I can change the slide. Oh, oh. Now I've got to go back. So sorry. sorry. Okay. The Mastaba of Ankh-Mahor. This is the most common image that you will see when you see an article on circumcision in the press, in magazines, in newspapers, even medical journals. The um, editors always look for this picture. And if you go online and you do a, a search for circumcision, a Google search, and then press images, you will find hundreds of these images. You click on them and they will take you to various articles circumcision because everyone wants to use this. This seems to be the most descriptive, um, emblematic image of circumcision, not only for today, but for the past. Oh, I'm going too fast. Never mind. Okay, this symbol has many meanings. The first meaning that people give it is that ancient circumcisions, uh, sorry, ancient Egyptians practiced circumcision. How can you doubt that when you see that image? It must prove it, right? And the second uh, meaning is that all Egyptian males throughout all of Egyptian history were circumcised. Well, of course it means that. But that's what we modern people think because we have no conception of how long ancient Egyptian history lasted. Their written history, written, is 4,000 years long. And that's just their ancient history. That's not including the 2,000 years since the ancient times up to the present. And it doesn't include prehistory, for which there's ample evidence for 2,000 years prior to written history. But it's not written. It's in the form of um, archaeological evidence. And so naturally, when you see this image, you assume that it means for the entire 4,000 years of their history, they were practicing circumcision. Is that possible? Is there any culture on Earth that has lasted 4,000 years that endured no changes, that remained identical? Three, it also means that all Egyptian males everywhere in Egypt were circumcised. Egypt was an enormous country, as it is today. And distances were even greater in the past because they didn't have automobiles or trains or airplanes. If you wanted to go somewhere, you had to walk. And the chances of someone walking from Upper Egypt down to Lower Egypt were very slim. Certainly, workers wouldn't have been able to do that. They were too busy. And yes, there was communication in ancient times, but communication took a long time. So the idea of cultural homogeneity for an entire country of that size for 4,000 years is an unusual concept. I'm going so fast, I'm so sorry. Number four, it means that, we also interpret this to mean that circumcision is a sign of advanced civilization. We want to believe that, or those cultures that practice circumcision today view themselves as advanced, and naturally any culture that practiced it in the past must also be advanced. Number five, 
This, this picture is um, interpreted to mean that ancient Egyptians were wise to practice circumcision. They, there could be no other reason. You wouldn't do it because you were stupid. Only wise people. So really, these meanings that we apply to this picture are ways of congratulating ourselves. And number six, modern medicalized circumcision forms part of an unbroken historical and cultural tradition. So when surgeons today in their modern operating rooms are performing a circumcision, it's really no different than what is occurring um, 6,000 years earlier. It's all part of the same tradition. And it also means that circumcision is universal. We, you will read in medical journals today. In fact, in the American Academy of Pediatrics latest statement on circumcision, it gives the indication that circumcision is the most common surgery in the world. That was the whole world practices this. And it means that circumcision is good. Are any of these beliefs true? Let's ask the Sphinx. <laughs> no. <laughs> so let's look at the historical aspect, the timeline. Ancient Egyptian history, 4,000 years of recorded history. And um, Egyptologists break up Egyptian history into various dynasties and eras. There's ancient Egypt, which includes the dynastic period, the old kingdom, and these are the dates that these uh, periods lasted. And then it goes up to classical antiquity, up to the time of the um, Mohammedan conquest. That is 4,000 years of history. In Finland, how long is your history? Your written history? 40 years. 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> and in that time, has your culture ever changed in any way? Possibly, yes. And uh, speaking as someone from the United States, Americans regard their country as being very old, about 200 years old. But has American culture changed? Put yourself here because you would like to register. Oh. If you go so far, he will not hear you. Okay. Has American history changed in the last 200 years? Uh, slightly. There used to be slavery. There used to be all kinds of horrible things. They disappeared. No one would ever have them return. So cultures do change. It's not just modern cultures that change. Ancient cultures changed. Egyptian, Egypt is no, diff is no different from that. It's if you don't know much about Egypt, you assume that 4,000 years had to be all the same. But Egyptologists will tell you there were developments and revolutions. Here's another uh, view of the timeline to give you uh, another perspective. And I want you to remember specifically the Old Kingdom, which is 2649 BC. And you compare that to the year zero here, the Roman period. These are the most important periods that we'll be talking about today. So we're talking about the mastaba of Akhmahor. So what is a mastaba? Well, that is a mastaba. It is a type of uh, mausoleum for burying uh, an Egyptian, obviously one of high status, not one worthy of a pyramid, but one worthy, uh, more worthy of a, uh, something like this rather than a hole in the ground. And let's talk about the uh, territory of ancient Egypt and the population. It was a very populous country in its day, as it is today, and it extends an enormous, uh, it's a thousand kilometer, kilometers long. And in the Old Kingdom, there were two million people living in Egypt. 
By the New Kingdom, three to four million. In the Hellenistic era, seven million people. The population kept expanding tremendously. And so naturally, when you have such dynamic changes in the population, aren't there also going to be cultural changes? So where is the Mastaba of Ankh-Mahor? It is right here in Saqqara. Saqqara is an ancient burial ground that the Egyptians used. It's a very important um, burial area. And this is a map of the part of Saqqara, the cemetery that includes the Mastaba of Ankh-Mahor, and that's it right here. Not the largest building there, but um, certainly significant. And here's the entrance to the, the modern entrance to the Mastaba of Ankh-Mahor. And it was discovered in 1899 by a French um, uh, archaeologist. It, you cannot visit it today. It has been closed to the public um, for a number of decades. It's in terrible condition. It had been, naturally, like almost everything in Egypt, it had been looted in ancient times by grave robbers and desecrated. Well, desecrated is not the right word in this case, but certainly damaged as a result of exposure to the elements. And so when Victor Loray found it, he was finding it again after it had been damaged. And who was Ankh-Mahor? Well, he, he was the vizier and overseer of all the works of King Teti, as well as a Ka priest. A Ka priest is a priest of the Ka. The Ka was part of the Egyptian concept of the soul. And they had special priests who ministered just to that part of your soul. And the Ka is, as it says down here, the vital spirit. You had other spirits, but one of your spirits was vital. The others apparently were not. And um, the, the, this picture and the Old Kingdom is 23,450 BC. And so this, these uh, mastabas were frequently very well decorated. And this is a, a sample of the decoration inside the mastaba of Ankh-Mahor. You can see it's got uh, wonderful scenes of animals and trees. None of it's painted. There was no reason to paint these things because no one, no human eyes would ever see it after it was uh, closed up. Why waste the time, the money, or the paint? <coughs> and here's more decorations of the inside. You see, it's, it's quite well done. And here's the famous um, image that we're talking about the circumcision scene, or the so-called circumcision scene. And so we, when we see this in our modern media, this is how it looks. Crisp, clear lines, beautiful, vivid colors. But is that what it really looks like? That's what it looks like. It's in horrible condition. It is monochromatic. This happens to be a black and white picture, which I chose because it's actually, for us, easier to uh, see the images. And you'll see that in these key areas where supposedly a circumcision is taking place, it's heavily damaged. You can't see what's going on. And here's a color image. And you can see uh, in this color image, it's still all heavily damaged. So it's unclear what is going on. But maybe there are other ways of finding out. And this is an um, a artist's rendering of the image in very simple forms. And we'll be using these. These are from a, uh, uh, an article from an Egyptology journal. So what does it say here? And you, mind you, you see there are two images. There are two 
men, or perhaps it's the same men. Usually in Egyptian iconography, when you have these sort of cartoons, they, are, they go read from right to left. And so it could be the very same person, the very same scene just a, you know, a few minutes later. So on the right, which is the first scene, the crouching man is saying, I will make it comfortable, which could also be translated sweet or pleasant. And the man who's standing in his little cartoon above his head, he is saying, rub it well in order that it may be effective. Now, I'm not sure if anyone who is having a knife thrust into his penis would say, rub it well. <laughs> or any thruster would say, I will make it comfortable, because knives generally do not make any part of your body comfortable. So maybe we should question whether this is a circumcision. And on the left, what does it say? Above the head of the crouching figure, this man, it says, hold him fast, do not let him fall. And he's speaking to his assistant, and the assistant says, I shall act for your praise. Now, what about that translation? Um, Anne Macy Roth is a very well-known and highly respected Egyptologist today. And um, she's written an article about this. And I'm not going to bore you with all the details, but she is in looking at the translation, questions the standard translation that was made in the 19th century before Egypt, Egypt language was fully understood. And so she believes that in this left-hand scene, the proposal is that this is an initiation ceremony of some kind for the hemka. The hemka, the priest, is the one standing, not the one performing the act. On the right side, all Egyptologists agree that this has nothing to do with circumcision. It is a pubic shaving. The e Egyptian priests, they shave their entire bodies, and we have that from a variety of sources. And this is a shaving. And it's clear because the instrument being used in this pubic area of the standing man is not a knife, but it is a razor. And there are many images of pubic shavings in, Egypt art, in Egyptian art. Here's another one from uh, another tomb. This one actually is in color. So these sort of images are common, but they're not a mutilation. Now, there's a doctor in London who wrote a paper on this, and he has a very interesting interpretation. And looking at the words that are used here, he points out that the word that was frequently and formerly translated as circumcision, um, which is uh, transliterated as submit, doesn't mean circumcision at all. Um, the word doesn't appear in ancient Egyptian dictionary. In modern Coptic, the word, a similar word exists that means circumcision, but just because modern Coptic has the word S, just because that might mean circumcision in modern Coptic, it doesn't mean 6,000 years ago a similar word with similar consonants meant the same thing. Languages change. And in his analysis, he regards this not as a circumcision, but as a, uh, a surgical intervention to reduce paraphimosis. Why not? So does the image depict a circumcision? Why do we assume that? Because in our minds, in our modern minds, that's the only thing that could be happening. That's what we want it to mean. But that doesn't mean that that's the truth. 
Does the image depict a pubic shaving? Well, all Egyptologists agree that it is a pubic shaving. Does the image depict a dorsal slit operation? Well, that's an interesting option that we should reserve. Dorsal slit is not a circumcision. It is another type of mutilation of the penis. Does the image depict a non-mutilating procedure, such as the reduction of paraphimosis or something else that we haven't thought of? Or does the image depict an unknown or unacknowledged ritual intimate act? Why does it have to be someone getting hurt or cut? What if it's some sort of sex act? Why is it impossible for us to even consider the possibility? But the, the reason we ask these questions is because we don't have answers. A definitive answer is impossible. We can't know. And therefore, it is a mistake to come up with one answer as definitive. Because if you do that, you will very likely be wrong. We have to live with uncertainty. It's OK. So let's try to look at it from another perspective. Old Kingdom. There are other images that might prove it could be or could be not a circumcision going on in the Mastaba. So here we have, these are also from the Mastaba of Ankh-Mohor, um, some naked slaves. And if you examine these, you'll see that the glands of the penis is exposed. Here's a statue from the Old Kingdom. And I'm sorry that this isn't the greatest condition, a naked statue. And if you look at the penis, you'll see a big vertical V-shaped slit. That is a dorsal slit. It is not a circumcision. No skin or tissue has necessarily been removed. But if you just slit the foreskin up the top, that is how it will look. Here's other dorsal slits. This one is even more obvious. You'll see the V pattern there. This is also from the um, Old Kingdom. And here's another dorsal slit from a uh, very rare wooden statue. I know this is hard to see, but there's the V. But not all statues depict this from Here is a statue, also wood, also from the Old Kingdom, and very pronounced foreskin. Here's another one. There's no question that this statue depicts an intact penis. Here's another, totally intact, also the Old Kingdom. In fact, almost all statues of naked males from the Old Kingdom depict an intact penis. Some of them depict the um, vertical slit, but most depict intact. Here's another intact. And this is also from the Old Kingdom. And I, I, this is hard to see, but it is definitely intact. Now, there's what about additional archaeological evidence? At the Great Temple Complex at Karnak, there is this bas-relief that was on the exterior wall of one of the temples. What is happening here? Some larger person has got his or her hands on in the genital area of some smaller person. Many people are interpreting this as a circumcision. But why? It doesn't have to be that. It could be all kinds of things. There's Karnak. This is where it is. Notice how far away it is from Saqqara. And here's another image of this temple. So you have two smaller persons and two larger persons. It, it, it's not that dissimilar from the uh, Masaba Bakmahor. But again, it doesn't have to be a circumcision. Another image. This is another fanciful thing. Again, it's too heavily damaged to make any definitive statement about what's going on. What about mummies? Mummies might provide us with evidence. Well, there is no evidence. No mummies have been found to be circumcised. Um, Sir Elliot, Grafton Elliot Smith, 
declared that he had examined all of the mummies from a particular graveyard in ancient Egypt, and he said they'd all been circumcised, but modern Egyptologists have used radiological techniques to re-examine all those mummies. None of them were circumcised. Here's Tutankhamun. Um, when uh, his body was unwrapped and examined, it was found that he, too, was intact, not circumcised. So we have some problems. We have a lot of intact penises in ancient Egypt. <laughs> now, what about the fertility god, Min? He's frequently depicted, and his um, depictions occur all throughout Egypt, Egyptian history. And he has, as you can see, a very uh, prominent penis. And the penis is not circumcised. Frequently, the glans is partially exposed, but you would expect that. What about ancient Greek texts? Herodotus, the, the uh, so-called father of history, um, visited Egypt, and he declared that the Egyptian priests were circumcised. Now, why should we believe him? His little text on the ancient Egyptians was mocking them, parroting them and pointing out how ridiculous they were, that they would make bread with their feet. And he found everything they did ridiculous, and they'd pick up dung with their hands. Um, and so when he says that they practice circumcision, well, how did he know? Did the Egyptian priests show him their penises? Did he lift up their skirts? How would he have known such a thing? Now, in the Roman era, circumcision was banned throughout the Roman Empire. Emperor Hadrian, in 132 AD, issued a universal decree banning circumcision. And that included Egypt. No circumcisions were possible. Antonius Pius, who followed him, rescinded the law slightly and allowed Jews only to circumcise their sons. No one else, no other traditionally circumcising peoples, if there had been any throughout the Roman Empire, were allowed. Only Jews were given this exemption. And then the further evidence that there was no circumcision in Egypt comes from Josephus, the uh, Jewish historian. And he, was, he wrote a, an, uh, a book um, that was a, um, an argument he was having with a famous Egyptian called Appion. And and he wrote in his book that Appion, at some age, had to be circumcised to, uh, for medical reasons. Well, if he had to be circumcised for medical reasons, that means he hadn't been circumcised before. <laughs> Again, proving that ancient Egyptians, or not all of them, were circumcised. Now, this is the most interesting thing, I think. In the Roman era, there were papyri that have been discovered that are letters. And these are letters from um, members of the priest caste writing to the Roman emperor, or the uh, governor of that era, asking for permission for their sons to be circumcised. Now, there's no question about this, no question about the translation. But these um, requests for circumcision were almost always denied. In fact, there's no evidence that any of them were granted. And this same request here must have been refused because um, several years later, it was um, submitted again and it wouldn't have been submitted again if it hadn't been refused the first time. We don't know what happened the second time. So what are the conclusions? There is some archaeological and literary evidence that some males during the long span of ancient Egyptian history were subjected to either a dorsal slit or a circumcision. We have to admit the possibility. We can't deny it. But there is no evidence that these practices were widespread or of long-standing tradition. We only find 
evidence of some sort of penile problems going on in the Old Kingdom and in the um, Roman era, where there's no evidence that they were practicing it, but that the, some priests wanted to. The evidence only shows that slaves and priests were subjected to genital alteration. When I say slaves, those are the images from the walls of the Mustafa of Akhmahor, those fishermen. So there's no evidence that the common people or royalty were ever submitted to circumcision. And, but we cannot conclude that all slaves or all priests were circumcised during a particular era. There's, you cannot make such a statement. Just because you have one picture of one slave doesn't mean all slaves were circumcised. That would be irresponsible to make such a conclusion. So, and we cannot know the motivations behind these mutilations. There are no statements anywhere saying why this was done. Was it for some sort of religious reason? Was it just a tech, clearly a medical intervention? Was it, who knows what the reason is? There is no evidence, so we can't make any conclusions about why they did it. So what is my conclusion? I have no conclusion. Uncertainty is acceptable, rational, and prudent. And as I said before, if you make a pronouncement that the Egyptians practiced it or that they didn't, you will be wrong. The evidence shows that any position you take um, will be contradicted. Ancient Egyptians will have to remain a mystery, and that's perfectly fine. That is the only responsible thing that a historian can do. Thank you very much. I think you neglected uh, some elements from the Egyptian history. For example, on the Temple of Philae, it was written, nobody was not circumcised was allowed to enter it. And there is a stella, stel, in which it said that uh, some elements, I will send you the elements I found, where they indicate clearly, it seems uh, clearly, that there have been circumcision. But I, I will, I will like send you the, uh, the elements. Uh, I, I, I will be very glad to have your point of view. But I saw them and I indicated them. It seems I, I, I cannot. It could be. There were um, previously a lot of ancient Egyptian texts, as they were appeared on um, temple walls, were translated as indicating circumcision. There's one about this Egyptian general saying that before I was circumcised, I did blah, blah, blah. Yes. Well, that was found to be incorrectly translated. Oh, yeah. When it was retranslated, it was shown that it said that when I, before I was out of diapers, I did such and such. So the translations uh, that previously showed or indicated circumcision were incorrect. They're 19th century, not modern. Uh -huh. Yes, Mark? It, it's my understanding uh, that biblical scholars, in attempting to uh, explain the Genesis 17 story, going back to ancient texts, have concluded that the uh, Torah, when it was originally redacted or written down in about 500 BCE, maintained that the texts were there because the Jews copied some pre-existing pre-biblical culture that had practiced circumcision. Do you have any opinions as to, if yes. it wasn't the Egyptian, what culture was it? Who knows? Nobody knows. Um, the, the things that you mentioned are speculation. There's no evidence, d direct and definitive evidence to support that. It's just speculation. And a lot of the speculation about such things 
are because people have seen that image from the Mastaba of Ankh-Mahor. They said, oh, that proves ancient Egyptians circumcised. Therefore, that's where the Jews could have gotten it. Just pure speculation. Yes, sir. I would like to add uh, some first-hand observations that I made on the god men that you portrayed in the Raphaelis. There are two, direct, uh, two uh, representations of the god men, one in London at the Museum of St. Donald Petrie, which shows clearly direct penis with the rigid bands that we've been recently learning from John Taylor. And the ancient Egyptians portrayed them quite fully and obviously with a attractive foreskin bridge bands on a red phallus on the god men. This I saw also at the temple of Karnak Thebes in, in, uh, in Western Egypt on a separate trip. Thank you very much, Dr. Snyder. Photographs of two if anyone wants to have any mail. <laughs> any other questions? What do you do with the text of Philo? <laughs> they are related documents, okay. Yes. Uh, Philo, they say, in fact, Egyptians used to circumcise male and female. But Philo. And we have also a Greek text which speaks about female circumcision. Yeah, that's strong. 160 years before. No, no, another text is a manuscript in Greek, 160 years before Jesus Christ. I think something, I, I will say to that effect. I will put it. Very happy for this presentation, I didn't give all the ancient Greek texts yes, that mentioned yes. it just to save time. Yes, yes. But they're interesting, but they're not necessarily first-hand accounts. So that's why I felt uh -huh. I could safely not mention them. But I'll talk to you about them afterwards. Yeah, I am uh, interested to have your opinion, yes. Right. Any Thank others? You very much. Oh. I think Thank we have to continue the next presentation. Thank you very much. That's our show. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please email them to us at cutdocumentary at gmail.com. And if you like what you've heard today, please support us by buying our film at www.cutthefilm.com.